and we're back. We're back with a comforting classic episode. Today we'll delve into risotto. Risotto is one of the most classic, comforting and recognizable recipes of the Italian culinary tradition. It finds its home in Italy's northern regions such as Piedmont, Lombardy and Veneto, traditionally dedicated to growing rice. Risotto is one of those dishes that is usually considered part of a Sunday meal, a rich and celebratory food. Though it is simple, it requires care and attention in the making. It is worth learning the basics, getting to know the ingredients and techniques behind the risotto made by the book. Then you'll be able to improvise with seasonal ingredients and make the recipe your own. Before the new episode, I would love to thank you for the precious support, even during these months when we've been silent here with our podcast. I'm really touched by your comments, humbled by your feedback, happy to know that this podcast brings some peace, inspiration, practical advice and lightheartedness in your daily life during such difficult times. If you want to stay updated as not to miss a single episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share cooking with an Italian accent with your friends. If you like this show, and you are listening to this podcast on an Apple device, please consider rating and reviewing the show. How to do it? It is very simple and straightforward. Open the podcast app, click on our podcast, and scroll to the bottom of the podcast main page. There, you can rate and review the show. This will help us enormously to be more visible so that new people can discover us and share the same passion for Italian food. Last but not least, remember that you will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in the episode show notes. And don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, let's start! Ciao! My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia. I am a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, JulesKitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast cooking with an Italian accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and you are listening to Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 44. It all started with a risotto. I was still living at home with my parents. Coming back home from work, I would often open the fridge to explore its content. I needed to cook something from scratch. It was my creative outlet a way to nurture my soul after eight hours spent in an office I was desperately trying to lead. I would often cook risotto. After all, in its most simple version, you can consider risotto a pantry recipe. You need rice, butter, stock, parmigiano-reggiano, and maybe a seasonal vegetable of your choice. Risotto is a therapeutic recipe, 
It involves all your senses and demands your undivided attention. I learned this from Aurora. When I was 19, fresh out of high school, I took a fast train to Padova to spend a long weekend with my grandma's relatives, her cousin Massimo and his wife, Aurora. It was just the second time I met them, the first a few weeks earlier at home, but they had promised me three days of relaxing, good food and art. So I was sold. We clicked immediately. We had coffee with cream in a historical cafe. We visited a Giotto chapel and I learned the secret behind an outstanding risotto. Aurora, a retired art teacher, told me that you must stand by the stove, cuddling your risotto, adding ladleful after ladleful of hot stock to coax it into its creamy, comforting texture. So simple, yet mind-blowing. The secret is to give yourself entirely to the task, and the results will come. Don't answer the phone, don't scroll your Instagram feed, give your attention to the risotto you are making. That's why the simple gesture of coddling a risotto was so therapeutic when I needed to focus on something creative, forgetting the day spent in the office. Let your senses guide you. The smell of onion gently frying in butter is like the beginning of a love story, so full of promises. Look at that onion, though. Don't let it burn. When it turns pale golden, pour in the rice. Listen to the rice grains. And you will hear them crackling imperceptibly while you're toasting them. It is a sign you can pour in the wine. Feel the resistance the risotto exerts on the wooden spoon while you're stirring. It's the starch released by each grain of rice. The risotto is getting creamy. Now taste it. Do you feel it? It has an unmistakable flavor. It is given by butter and parmigiano reggiano. More than a taste though, it is rather a mouthfeel. A feeling of creaminess and viscosity. I like to be involved in making a risotto. I feel responsible for the outcome and proud of the creaminess of its texture, the sign you have been successful. As Elizabeth David wrote in a book of Mediterranean food, risotto should be creamy, homogeneous, but on no account reduced to porridge. One must be able to taste each grain of rice, although it is not separated as in pilaf. It is a labor of love, but it is totally worth it. You can see it also from Mark Bittman's perspective. In 2014, he wrote an article for the New York Times, when cooking invests time or work, not both. He explains that physical theory of everyday cooking the time-work continuum. Since I read that article, I've been using this principle to guide me in my weeknight meals. To be effective in the kitchen, especially on a weeknight, you need to cook towards the extreme of the continuum. It means you can either spend five minutes preparing a pork stew and then let it cook on its own for hours, or, on the other side, spend 30 minutes actively working on chopping, stirring and checking 
the heat and doneness of a recipe. Risotto is the perfect example of a recipe standing on the work extreme of the continuum. And now, a special edition of Word of the Day. Three Italian words to understand the making of risotto. The universally recognized characteristic of risotto is the step of coddling it on the stove. But there are three more critical moments in the making of a classic risotto that you should understand. Tostare. To begin a risotto, you usually start with aromatics such as onions or in more modern renditions, scallions for a subtler taste. Finally, mince them and saute in butter or olive oil, depending on where you are in Italy or your liking. When the onions are golden, stir in the uncooked rice to toast it, or tostare in Italian. Toasting the rice is important because it seals the grain and assuring that it releases the right amount of starch when it cooks, which will give the risotto its creamy texture. Let the rice toast over medium-low heat, continuously stirring with a wooden spoon, until it is translucent, almost pearly. If you listen carefully, you will hear it crackling. It is almost imperceptible, but this is when the rice is ready. Another trick is to put a few grains in your hand and squeeze tight. If they are too hot to handle, the rice is toasted, and you can move on to the following step. Sfumare. After you have toasted the rice, you usually add half a cup of wine. Sfumare refers to the process of adding the wine and producing it. Traditionally, red wine was used. In Piedmont, for example, one of the northern Italian regions where risotto culture was born, cooks would add local wines such as Dolcetto, Nebbiolo, Barolo or Barbaresco resulting in a rich, deeply flavored risotto. Later, to adapt to changing tastes, dry whites became the wine of choice for risotto to give it a more delicate flavor. In more recent years, it's also been fashionable to use champagne or Italian's local sparkling wine, spumante. The carbonation helps give the risotto a soft and creamy texture even without the final step of stirring in the butter. Not everyone agrees on the necessity of adding wine to make a perfect risotto. Still, I think it adds an interesting aromatic component and helps also cut through the richness, reducing the feeling of fat of your tongue. Mantecare. This is the final step in the making of risotto. When you remove the pot from the heat and add butter, and often some grated parmigiano reggiano or grana padano. The Italian word mantecare comes from the Spanish word mantequilla, butter, and it means to cream the risotto with butter and cheese, giving it its characteristic velvety texture. Along with butter and parmigiano reggiano, you can add your favorite cheese, something to complement the other ingredients in the risotto, without overdoing it. Crescenza, stracchino, robiola, or even creamy goat cheese, gorgonzola or mascarpone. And now, let's have a look at the two essential ingredients to make risotto. The first one is fat. 
Nowadays, rice is usually toasted in butter to make risotto, as we were saying. This is common in the north of Italy, where risotto is from. In other parts of Italy, such as in Tuscany, for example, famed for its olive groves, you'll more likely find extra virgin olive oil, as the cooking fat of choice. In the past, rice could also be toasted in lard, with the addition of bone marrow, a traditional ingredient still used nowadays in the classic risotto alla milanese, a saffron risotto from Milan, which is typically served alongside braised veal shanks. And of course, fat is essential in the moment when you are going to mantecare, so to cream, the risotto with butter and cheese. The second ingredient is, of course, rice. There are several Italian varieties of rice that are suitable for making risotto. They all typically have round, plump grains with absorbent qualities, so that they soak up the flavor of the fat, stock and other ingredients while cooking. Arborio is the most common rice in Italy and the easiest to find in North America. It has very large grains that hold up well to cooking. Then we have Carnaroli. Carnaroli is considered the king of Italian rice. It has a higher starch content than Arborio and a good balance between its ability to absorb fat and its ability to release starch during cooking. Both key qualities for making a creamy, flavorful risotto. Then we have Vialone Nano. Vialone Nano is a variety from Italy's northeastern region, Veneto, It is appreciated for its versatility and it's an excellent choice to make a risotto with vegetables. And then we have also Roma that has large full-bodied grains and it's perfect for all types of risotto. These are just some of the most common varieties, but in the end each family has its own preference, often based on what is local to them or most true to their culinary tradition. On the blog, i shared a recipe for risotto alla pescatora, a seafood risotto. I want to tell you something more about this risotto, just to show you how all the elements are in a perfect symphony in this risotto. Elizabeth David, in Italian Food, says In Italy rice is never served with chicken, meat or fish. These ingredients, if they are to be used, are always integrated into the dish. And this is how we are going to make the seafood risotto. Last week, I went to the market because I wanted to buy a seasonal vegetable to make risotto. Radicchio or probably the first asparagus from the coast. But then I saw the fish stall and it happened. It became a seafood risotto. The fishmonger sells something called misto per risotto, which is a mixture of baby squids, tiny shrimps and diced warfish that it makes fresh each morning. Once cooked, it marries beautifully the risotto, the acidity of the dry white wine exalting the brackish taste of seafood. The seafood risotto, or risotto alla pescatora, comes close to a seaside trip in terms of satisfaction and sheer happiness. Since I made Samin Nosrat's pasta alle vongole from her book Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, I became brave with the use of fat, especially butter. I was already quite confident with extra virgin olive oil. 
until a few years ago, I would have made my seafood risotto just with extra virgin olive oil, skipping the butter altogether. And I would have left out the parmigiano. God forbid. Italians are very particular when it comes to pairing fish and cheese, even though there are quite a few exceptions, especially in the south of Italy. Now, even if I'm cooking a seafood risotto, I finish it with butter and parmigiano. I remove the risotto from the heat and add just a knob of butter, a sprinkling of grated parmigiano, and then I stir vigorously to cream the risotto. You do not distinguish the taste of butter and cheese, but they make an enormous difference. And bang, you have the salt, the fat, the acid, the umami in one dish. It is your seafood risotto. You can find this recipe on the blog. I'll leave the link in the episode show notes. This is the end of today's episode of our podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. If you love this episode, share it with your friends and on social media using the hashtag Cooking with an Italian Accent and tagging Jules Kitchen. If you have questions about Italian and Tuscan cooking, just email me at jules at juleskitchen.com or join our Facebook group, Cooking with Jules Kitchen. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share it with your friends too. You will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode show notes. Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. Ciao!